churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God and his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the, with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and it was still to come, the Almighty One. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I, hear, I heard a Lord... I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Revelation 20, 22, 1 through 5, and 12 and 13. Then the angel showed me a river, with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the, and the end. The word of the Lord. Well done, Asher. Thank you so much. <clears throat> well, our children are in worship today, and we've got quite a few of them. And uh, so the, the little extra noises and rumblings comes with the fifth Sunday of the month. And uh, instead of receiving those noises as distractions, we will receive them as whisperings of the Holy Spirit uh, to us this morning. And we'll see if I will muster up energy to preach again on the fifth Sunday or if this will be my last one, I don't know. Uh, but for the past seven weeks, we have been reading through the entire New Testament as a community. That doesn't mean that every single person in this community has read every page of every book in the New Testament, but collectively, together, we have done this. And today we come to the final sermon in the series that we've been preaching through in the final week of reading in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. If you've skipped around or if you've missed 
Some of the books here and there, you won't want to miss the opportunity to read through the entire book of Revelation during the week of Halloween, no less. Um, so the word revelation in the Bible comes from a Greek word in, in the New Testament, apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is sometimes transliterated as apocalypse or translated into English as revelation. So revelation simply means apocalypse. Apocalypse means revelation. Revelation means unveiling, unveiling. It is the unveiling of that which is real. And, uh, and that's what we have in the book of Revelation. There are, there are many genres in the Bible, literary genres, historical books, there's letters, all these different wisdom literature, poetry. In the book of Revelation, I'm going to say a few words about this because it's a complex book and then I'm going to jump into its relevance for us. Um, there are three literary genres in the book of Revelation that span this book. One is epistolary, uh, which means that it's a letter. It's an epistle. It was written from a real person, John, on the island of Patmos. And whether that was the apostle John, the beloved the disciple, or John the divine, we're not totally sure. But it was written by John on the island of Patmos to seven churches. So it's a real letter written to real people in real places in real times. Uh, second, it's prophetic in that it gives warnings, um, warnings that of real events that are happening in their time and what they can expect. And then finally, it's apocalyptic. That is its own particular genre in the Bible, apocalyptic literature. And it's the apocalyptic part that's really confusing for, for many Christians, how to understand apocalyptic literature. So I just want to say a few words about this. Um, this is the structure of the book and how it kind of flows. Um, I put this together. What a wonderful artistic rendition um, of a structure. You have the opening letter, and so this is the uh, epistolary section in the very beginning. And then you have the apocalypse, which is that whole, most of the book. And then you have the closing letter. And during the apocalypse, um, the, John receives these three visions. So there's the setting of the vision, and then there are the three visions. The seven seals and the trumpets. John loves the number seven. Has to do with the Sabbath day. Um, vision number two about dragon and beast. And then vision three about the millennium and the recreation. Then there's a conclusion to the vision and then the closing letter. It's really important that I lay this out because it's, it's tempting to get caught in the middle and to think that the visions that are coming in the middle are actually the end when they're not. They're pointing forward towards something greater. And what we desperately need in the West um, is to read Revelation for what it is, which is first century Judeo-Christian literature, very much in the Jewish tradition of writing vision language or dream language, using what are to our minds, as we read this in the 21st century, strange apocalyptic symbols, but for the readers of the first century who originally read these letters would have easily been able to decode and recognize the language that John is using in the world of the first century. For instance, when you get to chapter 5, and there's a vision that's coming, and there's the lion 
lion of Judah who is on the throne. And then this lion all of a sudden is a lamb, right? And so now it's pointing towards Jesus as the lamb. And then this lamb will later then have a sword coming out of its mouth. These bizarre images that your mind can hardly even put pictures to, kind of like trying to describe the dream you had last night. Um, it doesn't seem to make sense, but for those in the first century, they would have easily recognized that this comes straight out of Psalm 2 in Isaiah 63, and the writer is pulling together biblical imagery um, into this strange, lurid world of images and what he's not doing is giving you a photographic reproduction of what's going to happen either throughout church history or at the end of or at one point at the end of church history or anything like that. It's a way of saying uh, in these graphic images, this is where we are now. The Lamb is on the throne. He has won the victory. And that means that new creation is coming and there are labor pains, there are birth pains that are taking place and that's what all of these visions are. Um, and it means that if you follow the lamb, this lamb who is on the throne, who has been slaughtered, if you follow this lamb, Jesus Christ, you can expect some suffering in your life too because that's the way that God's kingdom unfolds into this world and makes its way. It's the only way to new life. The only way to transformation is through suffering. And so this book that you're going to read this week, it's about the already presence of God's kingdom that has been inaugurated in Jesus, but it's not complete. And it's about the not yet part of the kingdom that hasn't yet come. And how do we live in the interval? How do we live in the interval? All the way through the book, it's looking ahead to the new creation, which is not about saved souls going up to heaven, whether when they die or at the time of a rapture or any other time. It's about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. I would highly recommend uh, N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope if you're interested in reading more about this. Or Eugene Peterson has a wonderful commentary on this book. Because the real danger in the way that we've read this book in the West in the past couple of centuries um, has, is that we have collapsed it into a kind of Gnosticism where we have separated the material world from the spiritual world and we've said that the point of being Christian is to escape and to find a ticket to heaven while the rest of the earth disintegrates and is destroyed. That is Gnosticism. Um, and, uh, and Revelation is about heaven coming to earth in Jesus, winning the victory over the dark powers, and then implementing that victory by swallowing up death forever. It's a powerful symbol. So, taking the scary aspects or putting them in their proper place, if you are looking for a beautiful vision of God's end game for the world and for our ultimate lives, there's actually no better place to look than the last two chapters of the book of Revelation with its golden streets and its pearly gates. It's where the whole book moves toward. The seven plagues are over. All the trumpets have been blown. Michael has defeated the dragon and the beast has gone down to the dust. And behold, 
there is rejoicing in heaven as the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and all the saints of God make their way into the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this great celebration and that's where it all points. In both the first chapter and in the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus makes this claim, this powerful claim, and this is where I'm going to zero in on for today. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that's the first and the last, you know, letter in the Greek alphabet, who was and who is and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. And then in Revelation 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ saying, I am the future, I am the past. I want to reflect on what this means a little bit, not just for the cosmos, but for your life and for mine. And I want to start with the alpha part, because usually we look to the past to tell us who we are and how we are meant to live our lives. Alpha alpha represents yesterday and omega represents tomorrow. You know, here, here in Utah, there is this um, wonderful greeting ritual for people who are not um, a Latter-day Saint. And that greeting ritual always includes establishing the other person's origins. So where are you from? That's the leading question. And, uh, and if you're a military child, that might be difficult to answer. Um, it could be irritating to answer if your parents were immigrants, even risky if the answer includes anywhere in California. <laughs> Only rarely have I encountered someone who has asked me where I was from with the hope that I would return there. Um, most of the time when people ask me where they're from, it's because they want to establish a connection. Oh, you lived for five years in Seattle. Oh, I love the Seahawks. Um, sometimes I might talk about my ancestors, um, where they came from. I'm English on my father's side, German on my mother's side. This is why I like bratwurst and beer, though not in that order. If I'm in a churchy crowd, I might present those credentials instead. I was baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church, received first communion in the second grade, served as an altar boy. When I was 16, I experienced a spiritual conversion. I was discipled in the Protestant evangelical tradition, ordained in the Presbyterian Church at the age of 30. However I do it, what I'm trying to do is tell you who I am by telling you where I been and who I was. I'm establishing my identity by telling you about my origins. And Christians, we turn to the Word of God, we turn to the Scriptures to do this at at an even deeper level. We appeal to the story of creation or the story of the fall to explain who we are and the way we are. Why do we keep listening for the voice of God And why do we keep longing for God's presence in our lives? Because there was that time back in the garden when we walked with God in the evening breeze and we knew what it was like to be one with God. We have that memory. And why is it that we have such a hard time um, uh, not reaching for things that hurt us and 
and that aren't good for us? Why do we keep reaching for these things? Well, because there's still a little seed of that forbidden fruit stuck in our teeth somewhere, and the taste is so delicious and ruinous that we can't get it out of our mouth. See, this is our story. It tells us where we've been. And because it tells us where we've been, it tells us who we are now. For as long as there have been humans, there have been stories like these, stories of our beginnings, of our ancestors, and they help us explain who we are and why we're here. We call them our alpha stories. Since they're the first ones that many of us learned, they set our clocks ticking, they magnetized our compasses, and, and then we find ourselves living in a way that where the default settings are already set and we're living according to those default settings. Um, this makes perfect sense since these stories, these alpha stories, are about things that have already happened to us. Whether they've happened in our little actual physical lives or whether they happened in our religious imaginations, they are part of our past and that is a part that cannot be changed. You can't change the past for good or for ill, which gives the past a kind of concretization, a kind of solidity that the future doesn't seem to have. Whatever happens from here on out, I will never have different grandparents. I will never have been born in El Salvador. I will never have been raised on the stories of Lord Krishna or Gilgamesh. No, my alpha stories are set in stone. It wasn't until I got to work on preaching uh, that I realized how important our Omega stories are, our destination stories, the stories that tell us not only where we've been, but the stories that tell us where we're going. Uh, these stories might not be as rock solid, as concrete as our alpha stories, at least not at first because they haven't happened yet, which means that you can't say for certain, with absolute certainty, which one is right. You choose one based on faith. And we hope that we have chosen, chosen wisely since our Omega stories will have as much or more to do with where we are headed than our Alpha stories ever will. By reading these verses that uh, were read so well a moment ago in worship, what the church does is, is that we offer our best vision of a final destination that is worthy of your sacred life. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The trees rooted in the earth still rise to the sun, and just as the trees rooted in the earth still rise to the sun, so do our lives that are rooted in our alpha stories rise toward our omega story. And the difference is we can choose our sons. And even in the church, even among Christians, there are quite a few stars to choose from. So here are a few things that I would like for you to notice about the Omega story that the book of Revelation tells. And this, I hope, is helpful for you, especially if you're in the market for a story that's worthy of your life. The first is that in this story, as mentioned earlier, people do not go up 
to heaven. Heaven comes down to them. The earth is not struck by a rogue meteor. It's not laid waste by aliens. It is not destroyed by a nuclear holocaust or otherwise demolished so that humans have nowhere to go but up like steam from a cosmic forest fire rising. That's Hollywood, not Revelation. In Revelation, the same God who created the heaven and the earth is the one who is pleased to renew it and to make it again. Natural disasters will be gone, fires and floods, problems of climate change, the perennial conflict in the Holy Land will pass away. The new Jerusalem comes down to rest on the same footprint where the old troubled city once stood and God comes too joining humans right where they are. As it says, see the home of God is among mortals, among you and me, people, limited people. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. And so in this vision, the ark of the divine bends down, not up. And that's consistent with the entire biblical witness of a God who finally comes down to us in Jesus Christ. And so with a future like that, if that's the future of our creation, of our world, then we cannot dismiss the earth now or anything in it. Number two, in this story, the destination is not a garden, but a city. We're not headed back to perfect paradise for two, but toward a city for all nations. And so when Adam and Eve cleared out the Garden of Eden, or were cleared out of the Garden of Eden, God didn't hang a sign over the gate that said temporarily closed for repairs. You can return here later. No, it said closed for good. And then God, the eternal pragmatist, got busy trying to figure out other ways to woo people back to life. And the vision of the new Jerusalem is what God decided. And this vision of a city is going to be a pretty significant disappointment to people who thought that they were going to have God all to themselves. Since this city is 1,500 miles square, full of people from every corner of the earth, and its gates are never shut. Anyone who can't get along with their neighbors now is going to have a really hard time in the new Jerusalem, unless they learn to let that vision get to work on their hearts and on their minds now. A friend of mine um, is fond of saying it's a shame that God has such poor taste in people. (laughs) Um, I think it was Anne Lamott who said, you know you have made God into your own image when he hates all the same people that you do. (laughs) But the good news is that it means that uh, it means that it's there's hope for people like me. And with a future like that, you can't lock the gates now. They're wide open. Finally, in this story, there's no temple. There's no temple. The New Jerusalem doesn't have a single church in it. There will be no further need for any mediators of God. Sacred buildings, sacred books, sacred ritual or clergy. God will be fully present to the people 
who will see God face to face. The temple will be the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, just that, just them. No furniture, but a throne, and no light, but the light that is streaming from them, from the Lord. No roof, no walls, no altar, but lots of water. Did you notice that? Lots of water. In the vision, the river of life flows from the throne on which God sits, and the tree of life grows on its banks, and its leaves on the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, I know some of you are going to miss church. I know you're going to miss church, but um, there you have it. There won't be a place to call church anymore if what, because everywhere is going to be church. If what you mean by church is where you go to seek God. The whole city is God's bride. Wherever you go in it and whomever you're with, you're going to be married to God. And with a future like that, religion can't be your end-all be-all. God's presence is what counts. It's union with God that matters. And so to choose this destination is not about securing an advance ticket to heaven. It's not about a fire insurance policy. It's about receiving citizenship papers that give you rights and responsibilities for this life now. And before we leave here today, we say our charge. And that charge is a compact summary of our responsibilities as citizens of this new Jerusalem. And so we have our feet pointed in that direction. And to say yes to that new Jerusalem, to that Omega story, it won't get you any extra protection from wildfires or um, divorces or cancer. It may make things even harder instead of easier with one important exception. You will never suffer from a shortage of high purpose in your life. You will never wonder why you are here and what you are here for. Your feet are pointed in a certain direction toward full communion with God and neighbor, away from evil and despair, toward peace and justice um, among all people, away from anything that might persuade you to respect the dignity of some people, but not all. So once you have decided to move in that direction, any step away from your destination takes you away from your own destiny. And this is why we have a Commitment Sunday once a year in part. It's a way of saying, I'm moving my destiny in this direction. And I'm going to say that here, now, today. This is just for people who call this church your home and your family. It's to make that commitment to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to march toward my Omega story. And the minute that word gets out about your citizenship in heaven... You gain a whole new crowd of cheerleaders and coaches and mentors. Christians call them saints, the body of Christ, the people who are dedicated to helping you get to where you are meant to go, not just at the end of your life, but at the end of every single day. Meanwhile, there you are looking backward and forward to discover who you are, hanging on to your roots as you let your life Rise to the sun that you have chosen by faith. As T.S. Eliot said, in, in my end is my beginning, 
I think Jesus said it even better when he said, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. May it be so. May the Lord God Almighty be your A to your Z, your past and your future, your beginning and your end, both this day and forevermore. Amen. As we uh, close our time in worship this morning, uh, for those of you who 